It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday, the 7th of August, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. Pamela Kearns and Mick Duff from South Dublin, Noel Tui in Leash and Terry O'Brien from Kerry are not names I would be familiar with, but each of the four are councillors for the Labour Party. Each of them have called on Brendan Howe to step down as the Labour leader. The statements made publicly by elected representatives caused such concern that 16 other councillors signed a letter this weekend in support of Mr Howland. Local reps Paul Bell and P.O. Smith were amongst the signatories who said they do not feel it is the right time for a change of leader. Their intervention highlights a real effort to force Brendan Howland to resign. The Irish Times reports today that efforts are underway to get over half of the local representatives to sign a petition to support a change, a move which would oust Howland. And Senator Gerald Nash is in studio with us this morning to talk about this. Is this a move by Alan Kelly uh, to oust Brendan Howland? I don't think so. Um Having said that, um, I think most of those who, um, when well, I say most of those, we've you've read out the names. Four people have come forward. Only four out of fifty councillors over the last um, week or week and a half or so to um, insist um, that, as far as they're concerned, the future of the Labour Party depends on Brendan Howland stepping down. Um, I don't agree with them. I neither do my colleagues, um, Councillor Paul Bell or Councillor P.O. Smith. Um, they um, responded to a request from another Labour councillor um, in South County Dublin last week to um, sign a letter um, backing essentially Brendan, mm. or at least very, uh, at least um, saying now is not the time for a leadership change. Uh, we had a meeting uh, last uh, week uh, in Connolly Hall in Drada in the SIPTO office, um, which happens to be my office mm. as well, uh, in the hall upstairs, uh, reselecting Paul Bell and P.O. Smith for to contest the 2019 local election in the Drada urban area. Do, and the, meet, do, the view do, of that meeting, you Two of the 16, but as you Mm -hmm. say, it's just 16 out of 50. That leaves 34. Now, those behind this heave believe they can get the support of half of the councillors. Um, I... Well, that remains to be seen, but they're very slow at doing that. Uh, remember, I mean, there's been probably three or four kind of attempts, if I can put it like that, to um, undermine um, the party leader publicly uh, over the last 
two years. Um, and some of these names would be you know, familiar in that. Mm. I have a lot of respect for uh, those who um, put their names to uh, that uh, original letter or made individual statements uh, last week. Um, some of them I know quite well and others I don't know that well. There are lots of opportunities mm. in the Labour Party, by the way, Michael, to make your views known. It's probably the most democratic political party in the country. Uh, God, I mean, for if example... I've, if I've heard that phrase it is, once, it I've is, heard it, it, is, it is, but that stands on its own merits. Yeah. It actually mm. is. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago... Um, um, there was a meeting in Port Leash of all Labour councillors. In fact, the, the, the councillor who first came forward, I think this day last week, mm. uh, to um, uh, demand, uh, as, as, mm. as it might be perceived, Brendan's uh, resignation, is from Port Leash and didn't actually attend that meeting. So there are plenty of opportunities for councillors okay, to about, engage with Brendan, with me, with yeah, anybody else yeah, to talk, talk about you, the concerns you, you talk about that they may Paul have about Bell the and Pio Smith going for election and all. What's the point, uh, given uh, the poor poll ratings of the Labour Party? And if there is to be any point, if uh, there is to be more of a, a chance of being elected, uh, surely a change of leadership would help in that. Well, it's not often the case that when you have a bad uh, run of bad results, um, that the football team changes the uh, manager. Um, there uh, are there, uh, the, the, and thus it was with Eamon Gilmore. Uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying either that the Labour Party isn't without its problems. Evidently, mm. we are because we don't want to be on mm. 5 to 6%. I mean, a 3% or poll 3%. Is, a, is an outlier. Well, yeah, you, know, yeah. you can mm. pick, well, the RTE poll of polls mm. would show we're about 6 to 7%, around about the same um, point as we were um, two years ago. And nobody would be more dissatisfied about that than Brendan Helen. But the point mm. about it is changing leaders at this point but in time, were, I think, really doesn't seven, understand what the nature se- of the problem actually is. You were 7%, weren't you, when Eamon Gilmore uh, was forced out mm-hmm. uh, because the poll ratings were so bad uh, and then it went from bad to worse under Joan Burton and it's gone from worse to even worser uh, if you can put it that way um, well this, this, this I think you're, you're making my point for me in many ways that uh, by merely changing the leader it doesn't necessarily change the fortunes of a political party So what does that so, say about the Labour Party? No what, what, what it says actually is and I mean you does, know, we, does, we, does, does it talk what, to what it, the statements says, made by the leadership about let's say the leadership in the United Kingdom a, a, a party which uh, many grassroots members here would identify many left wing thinking people would identify with and the policies of Jeremy Corbyn who's been described by your current leader as the voice of the loony left. Um, well, there are many, many um, things, in fact, that we have managed to achieve in this country and policies that we have that I think uh, would uh, represent uh, oh, a, yes. a, 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 a dream come true, in fact, for Jeremy Corbyn well, and others. You, you, and you remember, implemented many Fine Gael well, policies. Uh, well, they implemented many of ours, if you want to put it like that, uh, as well. We were a coalition government for five years. This is about, you know, I'm very proud of the work yeah. that we did in terms of transforming this economy, restoring this the country's fortunes. The most right-wing thing that um, government did was uh, bringing more people into the PRSI net. And I remember Brendan Howland standing beside Michael Noonan explaining that it was the best five euros value that you'd ever get for money. I think there are well, there are more people back at work now, so there are more people in the PRSI net because there are 250,000 more people back at work. When we originally took uh, office, Michael, we've taken many, many people out of the USC and reduced many, many people's taxes. But the, the important thing, the important thing to point way. out, there Mar- are Margaret, no, Margaret Thatcher would have been delighted I, with that. I type don't, of I, I don't believe that tax and actually. 
paying for uh, social insurance that funds public services well, the social is a right wing thing. I think well, you're, you're sadly misunderstood. Oh, Mis- I don't think I think so. You're, I don't no, think no, so. No, no. I, I, I've <laughs> had many trade unionists on the country speak about it. And I would disagree fact, with them. I would in, disagree in, that in tax fact, is actually a, 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 in, in introducing fact, tax, small tax measures to provide for public services is a right wing thing. It's a you know, le- left wing representatives introduced taxes to pay for public services that we all enjoy. And in fact, people are less well off for those who depend most on the public services that we all must invest in. Yeah. Do you not appreciate that or understand well, that? Well, that's that's probably what uh, you'd expect uh, from politicians on the right to argue and then you create jobs and you get more taxes which leads to more well, employment. No, the, the, and the PRSI pays for our social yeah, welfare system yes, and pays for our health it. service. Uh, and in fact, and uh, that's, that's a distribution of the, wealth so that the wealthier people contribute to it so that tra- Trade unions will tell you actually we have the lowest level of social yes, insurance in the European pe- Union Michael but, but, and they want people to pay more in fact but unfortunately there are politicians in this country who income. aren't as courageous well, uh, as uh, others on the so-called left who believe that we can pay for everything without introducing well, any taxes at all. Oddly Enough, uh, and you've had plenty of them in this programme over the years unchallenged. Oddly enough, uh, the social uh, thinking policies of uh, the Fine Gael party uh, ultimately led to that measure being reversed uh, because it, it was so draconian uh, and such well, a... Uh, we could argue all day about whether people should pay PRSI in tax mm. or people should pay PRSI in tax to yeah. fund our public uh, services. Uh, end uh, of story. Yeah, that, that very yeah, low earner should story. be paying €5 Euro in PRSI. And uh, no USC now. Okay, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, you, you <laughs> see, this, this, no, okay. and a higher minimum wage. But this, this is the point that you believe it. Uh, well, it's you what it's what most you actually you it's, believe, it's, it's, it's what you most correctly thinking left wing people believe no, I don't think that so. we should have a you, sustainable tax base to ensure mm. that we have the public services that, particularly those who are in low pay, mm. depend on. Um, mm. And I'm kind of quite kind of quite unusual that you don't understand that that's how we fund our public services in this country. That's how we should fund our public services. Mm, We're making sure we've got a broadly based uh, tax base and social insurance base. And you can make everybody pay or you can make the higher paid pay more uh, and uh, that is the distribution of wealth uh, and there are the policies. Which which happens I saw on a graph in fact this mm, week in the the, uh, Independent, I think it was on on, on Saturday, about how in in this country actually the tax system does an awful lot of heavy Mm. lifting to redistribute the wealth that we have and in fact probably the, 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 as it should be the okay. largest burden there is actually on, on those who are considered to be better off okay. those who are on over 100,000 okay, euros let, compared to Germany or Denmark or France let, let, that's let, a good place to be ok great place to be so in this great place that we are in uh, and whilst the Labour Party continues to pursue the left wing policies of Fine Gael is it any surprise that parties like Sinn Féin and people before profit are, are gaining at your expense um, well, I'm not that sure that they are. In fact, you've seen since the last general election, um, Fianna Fáil's vote has grown uh, to a point. Um, Fine Gael's uh, vote has grown significantly uh, under the leadership of Leo Varadkar. And just reading yesterday, um, in advance of coming onto the programme here, an editorial in the Irish Times uh, last November, uh, when another similar effort was made to uh, undermine um, Brendan Howland's leadership, when it was talking about how, um, you know, if... The people of Ireland can forgive uh, Fianna Fáil for their economic mismanagement. Surely they can forgive the Labour Party for helping to rescue uh, this country. Mm. And they set out an agenda as to what we should be doing and what the Irish Times felt we should be doing. And I agree with them. We should have an unrelenting focus on the kinds of policies that I've been pursuing and the kinds of policies that uh, the Labour Party should be pursuing. And that is around decent work, uh, an area that uh, I have uh, focused on with a, mm. an absolute laser-like focus over the last few years. Public housing, um, uh, 
free education, which we are focusing on at the moment, and uh, ensuring that we deal with issues that are in waiting lists and have a truly public national health service. Free education. Those free, free, free education, education, which Aon or Reardon has proposed, yeah, which, yeah, in yeah, fact, yeah. this year we'll provide for again in our yeah. alternative Who, budget of about €40 million Euros to ensure there's a, uh, the end of voluntary contributions. Have you, have you forgotten the about of, the of big Labour weeks. Party broken promise to students? Uh, the, the one that should not have been signed at all and which I said very early on in the period by of Rory the last Quinn. government by Rory Quinn. Yeah. Exactly. I, I absolutely have. And in fact, in our last, budge, in our last um, alternative budget, Michael, mm. you'll remember, because I was on this programme talking about it, um, that we provided for that, um, rather than actually introducing small um, tax changes that are only worth the price of a cup mm. of coffee every week to an ordinary working person, a normal mm. working person, we should be... Um, ensuring that, that those resources go mm. into investment in public services like for example mm. free third level education the kinds of things that we mm. can do now Michael because we've got the resources the to do it and things, they are the choices the kind of things that you said you would do because anybody would say anything in order to get uh, elected and, and, and that was the statement that resonated with so many people and people will never forget Pat Rabbit's comments on television and have put the Labour Party into this disingenuous box where you say one thing and do another. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of the parties you're talking about earlier, the you know, so-called left-wing parties in, in you know, Sinn Féin and so on and the, 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 the people before profit and whatever they're called this week, um, say an awful lot of things. I've never been tested. Uh, never. Um, you know, we, we, we uh, oftentimes in the Labour Party go into government in periods when, in fact, the country needs you were to be tested. rescued. You were tested. We were, absolutely, were we were. And, and people it, made their views okay, on that. Okay, I, 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 I think you've you accepted know, how you, you failed on education. You, you've, I, I, no, I well, we haven't failed on education I, I think people, in, 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 people in the sense that, that, no, that, that no, housing failed I don't accept under, that at all. Housing failed under Alan Kelly. Uh, Who what? provided €4 billion, Euros, actually, just about <laughs> yeah. three years ago but in the last budget for public housing and so on. Money, in fact, money... No, no, Sheriff Murphy saying the same sort of we're, thing. We're, we're, the same sort of rubbish. Yeah, we, we st- people are homeless we, and more we, people we are homeless. We started in It was eight years ago, and yeah. still you've, you've oh, yeah. got, got this obsession with what happened eight years ago. And the people actually, Michael, have made their views known mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. That's why the Labour Party well, returned with, with seven seats. And I was narrowly that's, defeated. That's why, that's why you're on 3%. You, I mean, sometimes I just wonder why you actually invite me on, because you seem to have all the answers yourself. I thought that this was a discussion about the future of the Labour Party. Not about something that happened eight years ago. And the people Oh, have passed is. their judgment. Do you not think it's about what happened eight years the, ago? The people have passed their judgment on the performance of the Labour yes. Party, rightly or wrongly, regardless the of the economic successes, mm. uh, uh, as you might yeah. say, that this country has now, the foundations that were built over a five-year period, through okay. um, very, very difficult times for, for the Irish people. I stand over my record in terms of what I've done for people uh, mm. in, in this area, the people I represent. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the work I've done in relation to... You know, collective bargaining laws, making work better, making work pay, introducing you know the low pay commission, all of that really important stuff mm. that only parties of the left do what? and only the Labour Party will do despite what other parties what, will, will say. What has so been at the moment... The most, what has been the most recent brainwave of the Labour Party to restore the town councils which the Labour Party abolished? Um, well, you know, Phil Hogan often gets a very free pass on this. I mean, people think that, um, you know, it's, it's remarkable how all of the things that might consider to be negative apparently magically uh, appeared on the Labour Party, but were to hand of Fine Gael ministers. Um, you know, most of the criticism, in fact, that um, was levelled at the uh, previous government uh, would have been for uh, initiatives, uh, if I can call it, introduced mm. by Phil Hogan or James Riley or Alan Shatter uh, and people like that, not, in fact, Labour Party 
ministers. Um, if you recall, Michael, back in um, 2013, 2014, the local government um, so-called Reform Act mm. did uh, provide for the abolition of town councils. And it was something that very soon after um, the abolition of those councils, uh, we uh, under understood uh, and we've seen very, very clearly in areas like Drada, in Dundalk, uh, in Navan, in other large towns across the country, uh, that in fact uh, that was something that should not have proceeded. We said it very early on and we're the only party, Michael, to provide mm. in our election manifesto, if you're, if you're prepared to read it, um, for we, we provided for the, the restoration of, of, well, of, the ta- of town councils. We're in a different we're in a different space now. We're in a different space now. Why not look at the Labour Party we, we, did when well, it had the opportunity. Well, well when it, it we do, and we promises. and we did, yeah. and, and well, well, that particular. So, oh, hang on, hang on, hold on a second, okay. hold on a second, please. At my very own selection convention for the 2016 election, Brendan Howland, in fact, chaired that mm. and said very clearly, as a Wexford man, he viewed that particular um, set of proposals and that legislation as disastrous for Wexford. Uh, I don't believe that it was a good thing for Drogheda. I understood that. That's why we committed to restore town councils in our mm. manifesto as an independent party, as every party mm. will do. Uh, and we actually are the only party to introduce actual legislation to try to change. That's how you do it. We're in a different space now. That was a number of years ago. Mm. Those That lesson has been learned. And okay. we actually now, you know, in politics as in life, Michael, if you make a mistake, I think you should put your hand up and admit that, explain why that was a mistake and try to actually address so, that. Sometimes you run out um, of hands. And, maybe and, maybe and, others decide to so, say, ah, look, you know. Sometimes you run out of hands. And if you ask people to talk about the Labour Party, I'm sure people will say, let's not talk about what they're promising, given that you'd say anything in an election campaign to get elected. Because I don't. Well, I'm, I'm very clear. I, I'm happy to be to, to stand on my own yeah. record and stand on the policies that I well, have you, myself well, and that pe- I've managed pe- to create with pe- the Labour Party. Pe- people might look at your record and as a party that should have been protecting the vulnerable, who you'd have expected to protect the vulnerable. And look at what you did in social protection. When Joan Burton was the minister, she impoverished lone parents. Uh, she impoverished carers. Uh, and she fed into the housing crisis uh, by not uh, addressing uh, what was available to people through rent allowance. Uh, well, she changed the housing assistance payment system mm. to ensure that, for example, when you're going back to work, you don't automatically lose your rent supplement. Uh, you are provided with this housing assistance payment to mm. allow you the space uh, to you know, go back to work because people should be encouraged to work and shouldn't be uh, dependent, as it were, on the social welfare system. Uh, that would disincentivise people. Do you think she was a good minister? Um, I, I think on balance, I mean, what she did over the years um, in, in, in terms of protecting the core social welfare mm. payments at a very, very different... Remember, I mean, if you want to look at what we did and what we didn't do, do compared to Finnegale's manifesto back in 2011. Do you think Regina Doherty would have more of a a social conscience because she's very focused on lone parents and uh, the elderly and uh, is trying to help with rent allowance? Well, uh, we introduced a new rent allowance system Mm -hmm. that in fact has been used by many, many people because Mm -hmm. of the housing situation that we have uh, at the moment and the housing assistance payment in fact is probably on on balance a better system than the rent supplement payment because you don't lose it Mm -hmm. as soon as you go back to work so I think that's a positive thing and there's lots of discretion now as well for community welfare officers who are supporting people who unfortunately because of the lack of housing supply uh, under this particular government and we don't seem to be getting it, anywhere in terms of, of, of increased housing it supply Isn't that Regina uh, Doherty, Minister, gets praised by groups that represent the marginalised and Joan Burton was I, heavily criticised well, I, 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 I think pr- probably uh, well we're in a different scenario now and there are more resources available Michael um, and there are even more resources yeah, available. We've a left wing We weren't Finnegan spending. Um, we we We've, we've people who are very pragmatic who actually take 
the best of ideas probably from some other parties including our own that's part of the problem for the Labour Party and centre-left parties across Europe and across the world at the moment is that you know, I'm sure everybody's a social democrat now because that's what the focus groups are telling us the difference is I mm. actually believe it okay. um, you know even though you don't believe that I do um, but I do I live my life in that way I live my life by those principles and mm. I suppose those in my political life as I have done you every want, single day of and, my 20 and, years and, as a public and, representative and, 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 and at one time you aspired to be the leader of uh, the Labour Party uh, do you think Alan Kelly will be the next leader of the Labour Party I have no idea but I know that Brendan Helen will be the next leader of the Labour Party uh, until the next uh, general election, probably after as well, until such time he believes, uh, you know, if he wants to go whenever he chooses that date after the next election, whatever it might be, that'll be it. But he's entitled to the opportunity to lead the party into the local elections next year, the next general election, whichever might come first, and to decide what his future might be after that. All right, and we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for coming in to us uh, this morning, Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash. The Garda Representative Association is concerned that Gardaí operating out of a prefab at Dramad Garda Station will not see the station last more than a week in the event of a hard Brexit. Elaine Kyo is reporting for a number of the newspapers today and she's been speaking with the local superintendent Jerry Curley, who says uh, that uh, the porter cabin is long past its use by date, uh, and in the event of a Brexit, it would be in no way suitable whatsoever. Superintendent Curley is on the line, and a very good morning to you, and thank you for joining us here on the programme this morning. Uh, the station in Dramad is just one of your concerns, I think. That's correct. Uh, obviously, as I think people are aware, it's, um, the porter cabin, which has been there now for a considerable period of time and it is uh, past its use by date. The nature of these port cabins is that they're only supposed to be on a daily and temporary basis. But unfortunately this one has been left there for longer than is, is practical or suitable or sustainable. And uh, it's it's there accordingly there's one sergeant and four uh, members in Garage Corner working from that port cabin and and a member of the civilian staff and it's not suitable for that number of people. So as as you as you, you can realise it would be in no way suitable for the increase and the significant increase in numbers that would be required in the event of Brexit. Right, and the GRA are suggesting that in the event of a hard Brexit and all the problems uh, that would come with such a a scenario, that you'd be talking about something uh, on a par with the outbreak of foot-and-mouth disease, which saw 100 Gardaí stationed in Dramad and Hackball's Cross. So you're talking about an impossible situation. Absolutely. It's hard to put a figure on exactly what numbers would be required, but they would be significant, and they would be comparable to... Uh, as, as you say, the, the uh, foot and mouth operation, the BSE operation, when there were significant numbers in Gardaí uh, operating from Jamal, and the current situation and the current building would in no way be suitable for that. Uh, and there's no plans uh, to upgrade uh, the facilities available to you? There's no plans. Definitely not within the next uh, three years. It's not, it's not uh, provided for in the budget for the next three years. And even after that, there's nothing to say that it would be contained in the budget for whatever period would be going forward after that. Uh, and why is it, Superintendent, uh, can you spell it out for us, why you would need so many extra Gardaí in the event of a hard Brexit? Well, I suppose there's a number of aspects to it. Uh, uh, there's one that the, uh, we would have to provide a, a support uh, for uh, uh, customs officials. And the second thing is... Uh, 
the nature of uh, you know a hard border as such would would likely lead to increase in in in, in persons utilising that to exploit criminal activity and also dissident activity. You believe there would be an increase in dissident activity, possibly a return to the troubles. Well, there's no doubt that dissidents would use that and they would use issues like that to exploit the situation. And while we can't say for definite, and we hope that, that would never, we'd never return to anything like the Troubles, the, we, we can't say for definite that it wouldn't happen. What about the policing of the border? Would it be possible to police all the border crossings? There's 35 crossings, or would roads need to close? Well, again, I, I don't want to comment on, on, on road closures or whatever. We have to police it as it is at the moment. And the roads are open there, and they allow for access for communities from one side to the other, which is preferable for everybody. And uh, obviously, we would have to police those. But in a scenario where you're fearful of an increase in smuggling, criminal activity and uh, dissident activity, what kind of extra resource uh, would you require to police all 35 roads if they were to remain open? Well, obviously, uh, they would have to be policed on a 24-7 basis. So the increase is significant. But we can't uh, put an exact figure, and we have done some uh, planning and pre-planning in relation to the, the various scenarios that might occur. The actual number is seriously significant. It's not in existence in the district at the moment. The numbers that are required and would require a serious influx of members from Garrison into the district are that. But you can appreciate that if you had to man 35 border crossing points on, on a 24-7 basis uh, with two members at each point uh, or possibly patrols uh, moving between one and uh, some of the minor ones, uh, it's a significant number of people. Mm. Yeah, you're talking probably in excess of 200 people just to man those roads uh, given three shifts a day. Absolutely, yes. Uh, and would they need to be manned? Would it be necessarily ne- necessary to have people uh, on the ground or is this something that technology can cover? We hear all this talk about cameras uh, uh, and other stuff, uh, which is beyond most of us. Well, I suppose nobody knows exactly what's going to happen and nobody can say for definite what's going to happen. But uh, And there's no doubt technology can be of assistance and has improved uh, over the years. And that. But the bottom line is, would still have to be a serious presence of members and guards on underground to to provide the, the, the as I said the backup to the customs uh, officials and also uh, the security issue. And how does all that feel, uh, or how do do you look at all of that? Given the time frame that we're looking at, the 29th of March, uh, it's a very tight frame uh, to try and put in place contingency plans. It is, and it's, 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 it's something that needs to be addressed sooner rather than later, and as decisions, critical decisions have to be made uh, to try and address exactly what is going to happen. Hopefully, uh, you know, the doomsday scenario won't happen, where we have to have that, we have to provide for it. And there is no doubt a Brexit in any format is going to, uh, you know, is going to have um, a, a need for extra resources on the ground. Okay, well, we'll leave there for the moment and thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Superintendent Jerry Curley. 
Now, if uh, you had a room in a hotel uh, this weekend, uh, you quite probably paid for it handsomely. Uh, The average cost of a hotel room is €111. Now, uh, it's expensive uh, to stay in hotels in uh, this country. Indeed, if you were out in a restaurant, no doubt you booked in advance or you'd have found it hard to walk in off the street because the hospitality industry is booming. But in order to support a struggling hospitality industry Uh, the hospitality industry has uh, received a reduced VAT rate we're joined by Sean Healy Director of Social Justice Ireland and uh, good morning to you you've been arguing uh, that we need to look at uh, this specially reduced rate of 9% that hotels and restaurants enjoy that's correct yeah Basically, we were looking at the situation that that uh, VAT reduction uh, was brought in several years ago when the hospitality industry was in serious trouble and uh, we were trying to build up the country again after the crash of 2008 and the, and the, and the years that followed. There was very high unemployment and very little happening in the, in the accommodation and food sector. Now, what we find today uh, is that it's thriving uh, and, and, as you say, the costs have gone through the roof if you want to stay overnight or if you want to buy food or whatever and uh, what uh, the cost to the um, to the taxpayer uh, is that the the taxpayer is subsidizing uh, that person with uh, that company giving the hotel room for 111 euro that and all the other hotel companies in the country are being subsidized to the tune of 500 million euro a year uh, and by that particular tax reduction that they got in the VAT reduction that they got and we're simply saying uh, that that type of subsidy to accommodate mm-hmm. for, the, for the accommodation sector is simply not justifiable anymore and uh, they're uh, they're more than making a, a good uh, income uh, they should be paying their way we're suggesting that in year that it be done over a two-year period that would be eliminated over a two-year period in year one the accommodation would be t- taken out uh, of the of the tax break and in mm. the second year the food, but there's a second issue in there, and that is uh, that the uh, about a third of all the workers in the accommodation and food sector earn the national minimum wage. So what we have in effect is the sector with the the biggest proportion of its workers actually uh, pay, being paid the lowest possible income being a sector that is actually making an awful lot of profit for the companies themselves. And And this is being subsidised by the taxpayers. Indeed, we we, we hear quite often of many of them who are earning below the national minimum wage uh, because uh, they're... They're working part-time. Well, they're uh, working, let's say, 40 hours a week Mm -hmm. and they're paid at the uh, minimum wage for that, but they end up working 45 or 50 hours a week. And I think there's a huge problem with that. And Mm -hmm. without a shadow of a doubt, the the accommodation and food services sector needs to move on uh, to paying the living wage, Mm -hmm. uh, which is almost two euro an hour higher than the minimum wage, uh, because the minimum wage is not enough to provide a minimally adequate standard of living Mm -hmm. uh, for for people who are uh, receiving it. And you'll hear claims as well of money in hand, uh, the black market uh, and tax avoided as a result. Uh, But to put this into context, uh, it occurs 
couple of months' time, uh, and indeed from now up to October, we'll be talking about what the government has at its disposal and whether it should give pensioners an extra five or build a few houses or some of these other issues that we talk about all of the time. And we'll be told, well, like money uh, doesn't grow on trees and the government has 800 million at its disposal. But you say there's 500 million extra available to the government here. So add that on to that 800 million and it soon becomes a different story. It becomes a different story. For example, uh, with that amount of money, you could you could increase welfare by 10 euro a week. Now, nobody's proposing that welfare be raised by 10 euro a week. The uh, suggestion is to maintain its value, it has to go up 650 a week, but uh, 6 euro 50. But the 500 million would also give your, beside that, would give you uh, about 2,500 social houses on, it, on top of what is already planned mm. by government. Now, given that what the government is planning uh, is not sufficient to meet the targets or meet not just their targets, but isn't uh, sufficient to meet the demand that's out there uh, for people uh, seeking social housing because they they can't afford afford to either buy or rent a house. I think we're in a in a huge uh, in a situation of huge demand for supply of social housing to be increased. Here's a way of increasing it by two and a half thousand, uh, and it doesn't. Call, uh, it's actually five million, five hundred million you get back every year. So because it, it, you you don't give it as a subsidy. To the accommodation and food services sector. Uh, and did you say uh, welfare would need to increase by 650 for people to stand still? That's correct. The oh six euro fifty for the value to to get to to to, to may be maintained, and that's looking at the value. If you look at the wages in the in the society and the average that has been changing there, for to hold its uh, their their own uh, people on welfare need to see an increase of six euro fifty a week, which at one level isn't isn't a huge amount of of of, of money. It's mm. it's it's less than three percent, and it's uh, it's not a huge amount uh, given normal uh, developments, if you like. We've been through a period in which we've lived through very abnormal um, developments, if you like, or in many cases, lack of development because we simply had no money of any kind uh, for quite a number of years, or we had very little anyway. So uh, I think we're looking at a situation now where there's a government has plenty of money, in fact, has the yeah. has more than enough resources to, to ensure we get a decent budget, and that particularly the vulnerable uh, don't uh, wind up uh, getting left further behind again. I mean, there's a, a, another aspect to all of this in that we'll be told the government only has 800 million to spend uh, but that's because the government is choosing to only spend 800 million or raise 800 million because uh, a little bit like uh, that uh, difference in the VAT if uh, they were to restore it to the 13.5% rate instead of the reduced rate of 9% they'd raise 500 million as you say and they could raise additional monies uh, through increasing corporation taxes or, or what is paid instead of what is meant to be paid. That's absolutely true. Uh, but there's another piece sitting right beside that that I think is also important for people to realise. Uh, the government says uh, we are only going to have uh, that 800 million available. Why? Because we they have actually already allocated, according to themselves, what 1.6 billion 
is going to be spent on. Now, they haven't actually spelt out what that $1.6 billion actually is. So they say, oh, well, we're going to build houses and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But the actual reality is, uh, until such time as they spell out exactly what that $1.6 billion is, uh, we don't have a cl- we have no clarity about what they're proposing to do. But more importantly, they're acting as if they have only 800 when in actual fact they already have 1.6. So that's 2.4 when you put the two together. Now, as well as that, if you want extra money, uh, and this is what you've been just referring mm-hmm. to, if, the, if extra money is required, for example, to build social housing, uh, because there's almost 90,000 uh, households on waiting lists for social housing out there uh, across the country, and that means they can't afford to either buy or rent uh, the uh, properties, they uh, should What's required there very badly is that there should be a a substantial increase in the number of social houses available. But it seems to me that government is refusing to do this on the scale required uh, for a reason. Uh, They're only producing about half the houses that are required to meet the demand. Uh, And that's if if all their plans are implemented by 2022, as they claim they will be. Uh, But even if they were, uh, we've still got this huge gap. And you have to be asking a question, why is it that government is pursuing policies that's driving up the cost of of housing Mm. because housing is a basic right people have a right to accommodation and yet uh, the government is not doing what's required to provide the basic minimum number of units that are Uh, required in the society That that, that might bring us full circle uh, because one of the things the government does uh, to provide people with a roof over their head is house them in hotels uh, and they pay hotels and they give the hotels this reduced fat rate and then you get uh, to busy periods uh, whether it's Ed Sheeran playing in the Phoenix right. Park or the Papal Mass the Pope That's is right. coming to visit and they're telling the homeless people that they'll have to move out of the hotels That's right. I mean, it shows you how daft that whole issue is in terms of homelessness uh, and the way we're dealing with it by putting people into hotels now even the government itself I'd say is a bit ashamed of that at this stage that it needs to deal with it and stop this kind of nonsensical situation we have practically 10,000 um, um, people, um, yeah, on about a third of them, or just slightly less than a third of them, children uh, who are actually homeless, living in hotels and, and, and similar accommodation. That's not acceptable mm. in, a, in a society. No, shameful, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, and not at all that. It isn't that Ireland is broke or anything of that nature. We have the resources to ensure that these issues are addressed. We have more than sufficient resources to t- put investment into social housing. A very interesting thing about that would be that you'd be able to uh, invest in that area and it isn't a recurring expense. In other words, one of the things that they're going on about is if we increase welfare, if we increase wages, uh, then that bid is there next year, the following year, and we don't know, you know, there'll be a a downturn at some stage and we have to be ready for that. But the actual houses... Once they're built, they're built. You you know you only paid for the house once. You then have it for fifty years or whatever. Uh, so in that sense, or more. So in that sense, uh, you you actually are able to invest, use the money that you, that's there, do it, uh, put in the infrastructure, uh, social infrastructure and physical infrastructure, industrial infrastructure that you need uh, for business and for for people, uh, for society, uh, and then uh, you uh, you can actually pay for that, mm. and you don't have the same bill next year because that once it's built, it's built. Mm. I mean, there's a terrible irony with homeless people being asked to move out of hotels uh, to make profit by 
these corporations, these companies, uh, most of them are, are very big companies who run these hotels now, uh, because the Pope is coming. That in itself is ironic. Uh, it seems to fly in the face of the spirit of uh, the thing. But uh, there's a real question for the government, uh, which has a, a contract, or should have a contract, It obviously doesn't have a contract uh, with these hotels to provide this uh, accommodation. It's paying the hotels uh, big amounts of money on an annual basis for accommodation, uh, and then is subsidising the hotels in terms of how they run by reducing their VAT rates. Uh, why can't the government say something about this? Which uh, brings up an issue, I think, that like you kind of, if you didn't laugh at this thing, you'd cry, you know, it's so yeah. stupid. Mm-hmm. Like the, but the bottom line in it is that there's a lack of policy coherence, and that one arm of government is doing one thing, and another arm of government is doing a different thing, and they're working across purposes. So we have a situation for, like, where, where you have 10,000 people uh, on, uh, who are homeless, a lot of those now, uh, are still in hotels and so on. Uh, hotels getting, uh, and that, that is, that's been looked after by one department. Another department is looking after the tax break for uh, these particular this particular group. And not, and they're not only on that, but the group itself, the accommodation and food services people, they're jumping up and down at a ferocious rate in about, about how the fact that the, how they must hold on to this uh, break in VAT that they get that they're getting. And I'm saying this is crazy stuff. Yeah. You have uh, you have uh, 111 euro the average that you were pointing out for a hotel room and a great many rooms uh, are costing more than that this particular week for example it's always a high mm-hmm. holiday week in the start of August and uh, you have a situation when these people are trying to tell us that their hotels are full uh, they're charging huge amounts of money and they're getting it, and they're telling us that they're not making a profit. And they need and, our help. And they, they <laughs> need our help, and, and not only that, but they, they, are, they have to pay low wages as well. Okay. To me, there's something fundamentally wrong yeah, with all of that. Over time, I have to leave it there, but thanks as always for joining us, uh, Sean Healy, Director of Social Justice Ireland. Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie McGuire is here with some of uh, the calls and text messages uh, that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Maggie. Morning, Michael. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. All the better for seeing you. Oh, thanks very what much. Have you got for us from the phones. Um, well, we've a lot of reaction to your um, initial interview in the programme with Jed Nash. Um, there was a lot of phone calls and text messages in about some of the points that Jed was making and obviously the whole issue of the leadership um, has been the main point that people have been ringing in about. Um, mm, I can see a lot of text messages actually uh, on the screen in front of me and a, a lot of them still coming in as we're speaking. Yeah, yeah. That, mm, that, is, mm. that did exactly. Um, Tom was on the phone and he was saying he doesn't see the point of having a leadership contest in, uh, within Labour or he doesn't see how getting rid of Brendan Howland will any would change the fortunes of a party that is dying on its feet, as he calls it. Um, he said the party has gone from bad to worse in recent years. They need to call it a day and wind the whole thing up, mm, in his okay. opinion. Yeah, well, I don't know. There's obviously different views within the Labour Party. I think uh, Jed Nash spoke very strongly, uh, as you'd expect him to, uh, about the party and uh, its policies. Uh, but uh, with the, the latest poll putting them on 3%, uh, generally averaging around 6%, there is undoubtedly concern that concern being voiced by the four councillors who we mentioned earlier on in the programme. Letter though from the 16 councillors uh, who say they don't support those views and two of uh, the 16 signatories are local councillors Paul Bell and P.O. Smith.
Okay, well, one of the sticking points for Fran, who who contacted us um, this morning with regard to Labour, was he was saying that he uh, feels that the party hung themselves out to dry with their behaviour when they got into power last year or last time around. Ah, that Uh, was eight years ago. Yeah, I know. Ah, People have long memories, Michael. People have long memories. Well, Uh, apparently so. uh, But uh, that was the argument we were hearing this morning. Eight years ago, all those things happened. Give us a chance. Fianna Fáil are being given a chance. Give us a chance and read our manifesto and all the things we're promising now. Yeah, but eight years is only a couple of weeks really in political terms isn't it when you think about it like Irish people don't mm. tend to forget stuff easily and Fran was making the point that because of how they behaved last time they were empowered that it's going to take them a while before they get back towards regaining the trust of much of the electorate kind of thing he's saying that a change of leadership won't be any use to them. Okay yeah well that's uh, undoubtedly what a a lot of people have been saying to us and I can see uh, I think from all of the text messages that I've had a chance uh, to scan over uh, sitting here during the ad break uh, a lot of people are, are saying uh, similar things. Uh, has anybody been in touch in support of Jed Nash and the Labour Party? Um, yeah, well, I've have, have one comment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sort of in support and basically Anne was saying that she's no doubt that Jed does good work. Mm. Um, You know, she's kind of sees it on a first-hand scale in in the town and everything like that. But she feels that um, with regard to the party as a whole, ever since Pat Rabbit um, left, none of the party policies have stayed true to what Labour's original plan was for workers. And she feels that that's a huge sticking point for Mm. a lot of people. And that's why they've lost people have, have lost faith in them because they feel that they've they've gone away from their roots mm. really which was supposed to be all about workers and, and their rights and working for the people as such and Anna saying that she doesn't feel that what they represent at the minute is what she would have supported in it when they initially came about so mm, maybe okay. that well that was probably uh, before most of us were born <laughs> yeah uh, but I, I think there was uh, great uh, support uh, for the Labour Party uh, in uh, around uh, the time of when it was uh, going to be Labour's way or Frankfurt's way uh, mm. and uh, it wasn't going to be Frankfurt's way and naming Gilmore was going to be the next Taoiseach and all of that sort of thing and uh, I think there were great expectations and I think people were genuinely disappointed then at how that transpired when they went into coalition with Fianna Fáil. Yeah, that's true. Oh, was it Fianna Fáil? No, no it wasn't. It was Fianna Gael. Don't be yeah, confusing yeah, me. Yeah, Tuesday morning, yeah, Tuesday yeah, morning. Yeah, don't yeah. be confusing me. Um, Drahada, or Gary from Drahada yeah. was uh, on, on to us as well in relation to the conversation with Jed and he is saying that obviously... Um, those on higher wages should contribute more in way of taxes. She, he's saying that it's ridiculous that there's such a disparity between the earnings of some people working full-time in different sectors. He thinks that anyone who's working full-time should be able to support themselves and their family, and if that means taxing the well-off more, then he's all for it. He thinks mm. it's a good idea. Okay.
and we had um, Mark from Dundalk on asking why the hospitality sector is being propped up with additional money from us the people. He thought that Ireland was meant to be a capitalist country. Why do we let local shopkeepers and businesses go out of business and let the, um, the hospitality and banking sectors get away with being with bad business on occasions? Shouldn't it be the same rules for everybody? Mm, OK, well, we'll uh, have more discussion, I think, on uh, the support that's given to the hospitality sector. It's a jobs initiative. Uh, that's how it was introduced a, a number of years ago because, as Sean Healy was reminding us, uh, there were a lot of jobs being lost in hospitality. A lot of places were closing down and uh, the industry needed support. It was given support by way of uh, this reduction in uh, the VAT rate. Uh, but now that uh, the economy is on the up and business is good and it's expensive uh, to stay in a hotel and so on, people are, are suggesting that perhaps uh, the day has come and gone when there should be such support for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we also had a lot of reaction um, to your interview with uh, Superintendent Jerry Curley okay. about the conditions at Dramad Garda Station. Mm-hmm. Um, Anne was on um, saying that if there is a hard border for Brexit, I'm sure that would only lead to more criminal activity such as smuggling, etc. How in this case can you justify closing down a Garda Station when, it, when there will more likely be crime or more crime happening in, mm. in the aftermath of Brexit? I mean, I know it's obviously not yeah. a closure that they're looking for upgrade of services there. but Yeah, well, it, it's one of the issues. I thought it was very interesting interesting uh, to think about the 39 crossings in Louth yeah. alone. Uh, mm. It's a fairly porous border right uh, across from east to west there, but in County Louth, the superintendent is saying you would need two people mm. to police the border 24 hours a day. So that's two at every point? That's two at every point. Okay. Yeah, so that's... Uh, quite a, a, a okay. lot of extra guardy just to stand, stand at the border. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I know. It's a lot of people and it's a lot of manpower and you wonder yeah. where the money's going to come from, really, don't you? Yeah, well, you're talking about in the region of an additional 200 guardy for that purpose alone. Oh, God almighty, OK. Mm. And then Mary rang in relation to the same issue. She was saying, um, how in God's name in this day and age is a guard station operating out of a prefab? Why is it not a permanent building for them to use, particularly when you consider... Like mm. you just said, how vital their role is going to be in a worst case scenario. Um, and she's saying it's completely ridiculous that guards are expected to work in these conditions. Um, and on the same point, John says only in Ireland would you uh, see Gardaí operating out of prefab facilities and be expected to do the job to the best of their ability. Based on what Superintendent Curley was mm. saying to us, the building is essentially falling down around the officers. Why, um, why should they have to put up with this? And the government should hang its head in shame. Yeah, and by all accounts, uh, the building is in a, or the prefab is in a, an awful state of uh, disrepair but no mm-hmm. sign of a replacement for the foreseeable future, the next three years. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. Well, that's me for the moment, Michael. All right, well, uh, we'll come back to you in a moment, uh, I think, as well, because uh, there are more calls and comments, or maybe a little bit later on in the programme. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's plenty of text messages uh, that are coming to us uh, this morning, and I'm sure that people are on the phones as well. If people want to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 and you can text us on 086 now let's talk uh, about uh, the Granny Grant as it was uh, dubbed. Uh, this is a payment of €1,000 to grandparents who would help with childminding for parents who are at work. Uh, it's been seen as a kite-flying exercise uh, by Shane Ross and uh, the Independent Alliance. A pretty daft idea by all uh, accounts, but how daft is it in reality? Well, Marie Kearns has been out and about and asking people in Dundalk what they think of it. I think it would be amazing if the guy because a lot of mothers need to go out to work. They can't afford childcare because it's really, really very, very expensive. And if they have their mum, well, for them, they can go and ask their mum 
which is their nanas to look after the children, which is quite tough. I actually have a sister that looks after her own children, her own grandchildren, and she's exhausted when they come to collect them with the finished work. So and she's I getting nothing for absolutely it. Absolutely nothing. She does it with the love of her heart because she loves them dearly, but I think she deserves the money to get it. Totally. It's, a, it's another tax, you know, that, or another thing that comes out of the budget. The money has to be got from somewhere. It has, to be, it has to tax, put the tax, put the income tax up, and they're, 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 they're going sky high about it. And anyway, with a couple of kids that don't pay that much tax anyway, you know. So it's, just, it's on us, single people. We pay the most. And, and so you're going to be paying for other people's children yes. to be minded? I've been doing it all my life, for minded children, for putting them through school. I don't have any kids. It's a lifestyle choice as far as I'm concerned. I chose not to have kids. I chose not to be married. That's it. But I end up paying for it. Well, I think that grandparents mind grandchildren because their children can't afford to have them mind, especially over the summer holidays. And I think, yes, at this stage, they should be acknowledged for it because they've been doing it for years. And people might think it's unfair that they should have to pay for someone else's children if they've no children of their own. What do you think about that? Because it's going to come out of, obviously, the state coffers. Yeah, well, I think the state's squandered enough money on other things. It's time to give it to something sensible. That's what I would say. There's enough, squander, enough money squandered on salaries and everything else. And, I mean, if grandparents are minding kids, they're doing a day's walk, so they're entitled to something for it. I think there's no need for it. I think uh, everybody would love to get money handed to them for nothing or for little or nothing. Everybody wants to mind their own grandchildren. And they, I think the money would be better put towards uh, helping out in the hospitals. People, children especially, need to get appointments in hospitals. They're put off far too long. My own daughter is looking for an appointment for her baby to have an MRI and she can't get it. Me months away, I think they would be better putting the money towards helping people out like that. Do you mind grandchildren yourself? Occasionally. I wouldn't be minding them four hours a day or anything like that, but I do help out and mind them occasionally. I have no problem. No, they're my grandchildren. I... Our children help us out well with, with stuff, so I have no problem doing it. Your thoughts on the so-called granny grant? I think it's a good idea. You know what I mean? At least the kids are with their grannies and they're not paying childcare for something. Grannies and grandas have paid in the, their due over the years, so it's about time they got something back. And do you think many grandparents feel that they, they kind of need to help out because a lot of parents can't afford uh, childcare? Definitely, definitely. In this day and age, with the houses and mortgages and everything, they need two walking in a house, so the grannies and grandies have to stand in. Well, it's an interesting concept. Uh, I'm not sure how it, uh, how it would work. I look after my grandchildren from time to time, but is it a thousand, a thousand euro a go? Or? No, I don't think so. <laughs> How many have you? Well, three here, and uh, so we spend a bit of time looking after them, but look, we've lived without it so far, and I, I think I can continue to live without it. Do you think there's more areas where it could be better spent? I suspect there could well be, yes. All right, well, I'm sure others would uh, disagree. Uh, we'll uh, talk a little bit more about all of this in a, a moment. But our thanks uh, to those people in Dundalk who took some time out to speak with Marie Kearns for us. Now, there were mixed feelings amongst those uh, people in Dundalk about uh, the proposal of uh, this so-called Granny Grant. And Dempsey Communications Manager with Third Age joins us now. And how many uh, older people are looking after grandchildren, would you estimate? They say about 70,000, Michael. That's a lot of people, isn't it, who are are doing very hard and uh, important work, unpaid and for the most part unrecognised. 
Very much so. And Shane Roth talks about this as being part of the recognition of older people, which, of course, in third age, we completely agree with because it's part of our remit to recognise the contribution of older people. We have over 1,500 volunteers working in very many different programmes right around the country. But... um, if we do the sums, Michael, as we've all done, it's 19 euro a week. And I suppose two things to say about that. On the one hand, if you're living on a social welfare pension, which many older people are, you, you wouldn't refuse 19 euro a week. Mm-hmm. It's better than not having it, eh? But the other thing is this situation of 19 euro a week for older people, in no way it fulfills the need that Jane Roth is talking about, which is to kind of, in some way, meet the cost of childcare for working parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's no fit there. Sorry? There's no fit there. What do you mean, like uh, I mean, square like pegs and round is, holes? If, if, the, if this thousand euro for yeah. grandparents is meant to fulfil that need, it certainly won't. Okay, yeah, it's square pegs and round holes. Type yeah. Of thing. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, mm. and there have been promises over the years uh, in helping parents address uh, the cost of uh, childcare. Those promises come and go and continue to be made. Uh, but uh, whilst this won't do anything to uh, address the childcare needs of parents, uh, is it suitable? Do you like the idea of uh, recognising the work that grandparents do by paying them for it? Mm, I think they do it for love rather than money, really. I mean, I happen to live opposite a primary school, Michael, and in term time, most of the year, um, I see uh, older older parents, grandmothers and grandfathers going up to collect their children and then when they park their cars outside my gate and I see them walking by again holding hands, chatting away and it is a lovely scene without Mm. being too kind of sentimental about it and we all know about the value to a child of having a very good relationship with grandparents, they're kind of they can be that glue to kind of help the family values, it can be a very particular and very special Mm. relationship and And that's all good I think. Oh absolutely and grandparents you know. are iconic to children, aren't they? Uh, well, I think if if the relationship is good, it's very good. Uh, third age, um, we began a, a campaign last year. And we had a competition actually for the grandparent of the year. Mm. Uh, we this, we we did it over two years, and uh, we got a fantastic uh, entries showing the love, the commitment, the imagination, the vision, the vision. What grandparents do for their grandchildren? It's all it's all secret, unsung stuff. These these heroes, without you know, mm. I mean, there's, there's great things going on in families, Michael, that you don't hear about. Oh, and all of the time, uh, and all of the time. I suppose they are the best things that are happening. Uh, the unsung heroes, uh, as exactly. Such. But I suppose on the other side of the coin, Michael, you know, our senior line service, mm. and. I think you and I might have talked about this before. Since when the downturn happened at about 2009, we we began getting new kinds of calls from older people saying, look, um, we really looked forward to our retirement and we were having a great time, having day trips and using the wonderful path and everything. And now our our children can't afford childcare and they've asked us to help out. Mm. And of course... We love our children and we do it, but it's, 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 you know, we're getting older. I can't chase after a three-year-old anymore. I'm worried about um, them running across the road. And life is very different. Mm. And a lot of older people, as I say, phoned us just to discuss the kind of the issue that was there and how they might handle it and could they approach their children and could they do less. And we had a lot of these conversations where we kind of facilitated uh, our callers in maybe discussing this. And sometimes we found there was, wasn't any really 
easy answer at all around it. But even having the chance to discuss it, I think a lot of our callers sound very helpful. Mm, and I, I take it that you'd be concerned as well that if you were to introduce a payment of this sort, it might put pressure on grandparents to look after children for their children because their children would say, look, you're getting paid for it anyway. I think that has been mooted and I heard um, Francis Byrne of the, uh, the Child Care Organisation talking about that, that again, as I say, it's done, uh, you know, within the relationship in the family, it's done for parents wanting to help their adult children. Um, but <clears throat> I imagine, and as you say, if maybe sadly if the relationship wasn't very good, there might be pressure there. But I have talked to a lot of grandparents over the last few days and people around my own age, and a lot of them say, look, you know, if there's a thousand euro going, like, give it to the, give it to my son and my daughter. They need it more right now than I do. Mm. You know, it's... Um, I think it's come in for a lot of criticism, Michael, and I think a lot of it deservedly. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I was surprised that uh, it uh, gained as much traction as it, it did, that people took it seriously. Uh, yeah. But uh, are, are you concerned uh, that the minister may have been uh, using uh, grandparents as pawns to test the water? Well, it wouldn't be the first time, would it? No, it wouldn't be the first time, but I think older people are more, much more aware now of the importance and the value of their vote. And even the, and, 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 and it's an age group that, as you know, is very citizen aware and does vote. So I think um, Shane Ross would be well behoved to kind of treat us seriously and not in some kind of way that would be maybe for his own Okay. Yeah, right. Can I give our number, Michael? Oh, absolutely, yes, Thank of course. Thank you so much. Yes, so, yeah. mm-hmm. it's a new free phone number we initiated mm-hmm. last year, and it's 1800 80 45 91. And as I think you know by now, mm-hmm. we're open every single day of the year from 10 in the morning until 10 at night. Okay. And we're delighted to get calls from people who want to know about anything at all, including this issue. All right, uh, and uh, it's a, a great service that you provide, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we have uh, that telephone number here. If uh, people didn't get it, a, a chance to write it down, they can call us and we can pass it on to them. Thank you indeed. And Dempsey Communications Manager with Third Age. Now, let's return to the issues of uh, policing at the border after a Brexit and indeed the uh, disrepair of uh, the station in Dramad. We heard earlier in the programme from Superintendent Jerry Curley, and let's hear now from the GR. Derek O'Donoghue is CEC representative for the GRA in Loud. Good morning to you, Derek, and thanks for joining us. How, how bad a condition is uh, the prefab in? Well, it's in a terrible state in that uh, members are waiting for uh, maybe a light to, uh, to fall from the ceiling um, and those don't have been repaired and they're waiting for something else like that to happen again. Uh, rad to fall off the walls that uh, one has already uh, happened and injured a member a while back uh, and another one has been repaired that uh, plywood has been put in behind it uh, to just keep the mount in position uh, when people walk into the into the main entrance they could actually turn off the power from the trip switch as it's at the main entrance and if a member is working at night they could be vulnerable uh, as it's there for so long, the structural integrity is questionable, especially after the beast from the east and the uh, storm Ophelia. Uh, and th- these are the t- concerns of the members mm-hmm. as well as th- the fact that it has, it has a prefab, it's not a secure structure. And bad, Anybody could kick in a wall. 
and just and just mm-hmm. and, and cause untold damage and bad and all as it is or dire uh, a state as it's in as uh, the case may be superintendent curly told us that that's all you have and will have available to you for the next three years. There's no budget to uh, fix uh, the state of disrepair, let alone replace it. That's what I'm saying at the minute, but we have to fight the corner. There has to be money somewhere. Shane Ross comes out yesterday and says that there'll be money for the Olympic uh, hockey team in the future. Where did that come from? I don't I don't know. Like, There's budgets there. We stick by them, but somehow or another they find the money when it's needed and, and we have to keep fighting for it and the and reason that you're raising this in the context of Brexit is uh, as we've been hearing because of uh, the uh, additional demand on Gardaí to police a hard border uh, akin to the uh, pressure that uh, saw the response to the BSE outbreak and the foot and mouth outbreak that's the roadmap that we can go from at the minute. The borders have been sealed before. We know we have an idea what's there. The blueprint has been there, so there uh, people know what to, what has to be done. But I suppose it's coming down to definitions from Europe in time. Mm. We have to presume that there are plans in place. We're hearing things here and there. The GRA haven't been consulted with it, but at the minute, nobody has given any indication exactly what is ahead of us. Mm. But like, the port of cabin in this day and age is a disgrace. It's there since 2005 and the key to it was that there is a B&B, or what was a B&B bought back in 2005 that was to be converted into a Garda station. That port of cabin was just put there as, as a temporary measure while the, B, while the Garda station was to be done up. It never happened. Then last year, they pumped the walls in that, in that building, expecting it to be used. Uh, for, uh, they pumped it with insulation, boom. Then, all of a sudden, it wasn't going to be used. And the port cabin is there. And the thing about mm. it is that, Dramad, years ago, the old station was closed down. The members went out to Hackball's Cross, they waited for this new station to be built. It wasn't built. The B&B was bought and the port cabin was put up. So nothing has changed in relation to mm. the structures up in, up in Dramad. The members are constantly fighting for good working conditions and they still haven't got it. Yeah, and listening to you this morning, I'm of the impression that you've been fighting hard for it and that you sound somewhat despondent. If I'm right, or if I'm hearing that right, uh, it could be that despondency that's led you to make these statements publicly. Uh, and if people are surprised to hear members of uh, the force or the representative organisation make these public statements about the dark conditions that you're asked to work under, uh, they're probably all the more support or surprised to hear the superintendent support that sentiment. There's, it's it's incredible to, that all organisations seem to be uh, staff organisations are singing off the one hymn sheet because they know the problems and they they want to provide a service to the community my members want to provide a service to the community up there but they'd like the basics sorted out and the thing is this has gone on and on and on it's, it's a plaster has just been put over a major wound okay. and that wound needs surgery at this stage. Well, we'll leave it there for the moment and thank you for making those points with us here this morning. Derek O'Donoghue, CEC representative for the GRA in Louth.
Well, on post confirmed last week that 161 postmasters have applied for a voluntary uh, retirement scheme. This will result if they accept those applications in the closure of the 161 post offices. Uh, Finnefall TD for Sligo Leitrim, Mark McSharry, joins us now. Uh, you seem very concerned about this. Yes, certainly. I think it's. Um um, a further nail, potentially, in the coffin of, of rural and regional Ireland. And um, uh, the variety provision of phasing out rural communities must be stopped, in my view. And the pursuit of policies um, to shut down rural communities uh, is destroying the cultural fabric um, uh, of many parts of the country. And The, the, the Varadkar vision uh, of decimating rural Ireland, uh, as you put it, uh, is, is that... Uh, personified by this deal that Unpost has with the postmasters, because there's two sides to this agreement, isn't there? There is. Um, certainly, uh, um, we would have no difficulty with uh, long-serving postmasters and postmasters are securing a, a package uh, to facilitate their retirement. Um, that's welcome and indeed needed. Uh, but to use it as a covert tool to shut down uh, communities all over the country uh, is not uh, honest, uh, it's not needed, uh, and it's uh, detrimental to communities all over the country. So while the, the IPU have done a splendid job in negotiating for their members, uh, they have no authority or mandate to negotiate for communities, and that's where government must step in. And we have said for some time that a public service obligation is required to support those um, post offices that have an issue with liability mm. in the same way as in the UK. They do it for 8,300 post offices and then move to increasing the service offering uh, in post offices throughout the entire country. Um, we've costed that and it's in the region of 8 million per year. So the question for uh, the Taoiseach and the government is, uh, are they prepared to uh, look at the value to local communities and invest this 8 million? Uh, or are they going to obsess with costs on the bottom line of the commercial mandate of post and shut down? But this is uh, going to result in a, a €50 million Euro investment, isn't it? No, I'm talking about the, costing of a, the cost of a public service obligation mm-hmm. to maintain rural post offices, the ones that are potentially scheduled to close as a result of these retirements. So we've cost it... To, to allow them to run at a loss the existing network at uh, at about 8 million per year. Mm. Uh, every community uh, that has a population of uh, 500 or, or more will have a, a post office or they'll have a post office within 15 kilometres of them whilst uh, the 161 post offices close down. Uh, if that is what happens, other post offices will open, new post offices will open. Where? Well, presumably to fit the criteria that you're within 15 kilometres of a post office. Yeah, well, I think in the first instance that this is something that the public were entitled to have their representatives uh, have uh, a say on their behalf. This plan was never put before the, the, the doll, never put before the Senate, never put before a county council. Uh, and I think that we cannot have the trade union, who on the one hand are doing a very good job for its members, doing the dirty work for government in closing down uh, up to 161 communities nationwide. Uh, and I think that uh, it's time uh, that we heard from Minister Nocton and indeed Minister Ring, both like to call themselves champions of rural Ireland when it suits, but their silence is deafening over the course of the last week or 10 days since this story broke, 
Uh, and what's needed here is an acknowledgement that, yes, there is a cost to providing services to people throughout the country. And yes, in rural parts of the country, it will never be profitable to do so. Uh, but for a relatively modest level of support, uh, we must value our communities more than that. I mean, there's another side as well where um, larger cities and larger towns have huge issues with rents, have housing crises and so on. Smaller communities, smaller villages throughout the country with proximity to larger towns and commutability uh, do offer the potential as a pressure valve for this housing crisis and, uh, uh, and, and the unsustainable growth which is happening in some sectors. But that's an aside. The main issue here is that government uh, acknowledge that they are responsible to the people of Ireland, uh, get involved in this issue and do not allow uh, on post in the IPU proceed with the additional nail in the coffin of, of 161 rural communities nationwide. But there's no compulsory retirements, they're all voluntary. People are applying for this, uh, they're tired or they're old or uh, they're running at a, a loss or all three. In fact, uh, in some of uh, the post offices, the postmaster may be deceased. Yes, I can certainly think of one of those uh, um, uh, situations myself. Uh, I, again, we have no issue with people retiring. Um, but there are others who would be anxious to provide this service, and certainly the communities themselves want these services. And we've had a lot of rhetoric from government over the last number of years about increasing the services that are going to be available through post offices, such as motor taxation, mm. perhaps a role in farm payments and other services, uh, the potential introduction of a third banking force to our post network, similarly to the Kiwi um, uh, Post Bank, which has been very successful there. Mm. Um, so uh, as far as we're concerned, that irrespective of retirements, uh, you know, a retirement uh, does not uh, dictate the end of a community. And uh, that's what we want to ensure doesn't happen. And, and, and that's been the issue throughout this process, is that the IPU have successfully, on one hand, uh, put together the retirement uh, package mm. for their members, but haven't looked to continuity uh, for the community. But you're suggesting, are you not, uh, that you use exchequer funding uh, in order to keep open self-employed business, which is running at a, a loss, or if people don't want to continue with that, that you'd bring in somebody else, anybody else, willy-nilly, without any criteria, to uh, enjoy the support of the state to do something that will never make money. No, I didn't say anything like that. Well, where's the criteria? Uh, I, I didn't say anything well, like that. Well, where's the criteria? I don't, I don't, what, 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 do, do you disagree with the I, I criteria that's put down by on post no, that? I no, I do not. You do. Right. We, we cannot dictate terms to the existence of rural Ireland on that basis. I mean, what is next, Michael? I mean, it's not profitable to bring water to certain parts of the country, broadband, electricity. Hmm. Will we be cutting those soon and telling people move? I mean, we have a culture in Ireland where people live on islands. They live in rural communities. Uh, and we are entitled as public representatives and, uh, and as an estate uh, to, to support that. And I've already outlined that it's at a particularly modest cost in terms mm. of the, the post offices. Uh, and I think that governments uh, have to acknowledge the value of communities rather than just looking to the bottom line at all times. Everyone understands on post as a commercial mandate. Everyone understands they must cover their costs. However, 
there are things like public service obligations that must be required. I mean, look at the amount of money mm. Dublin bus get, bus and get, Aaron Road and get, and other services throughout the country that without certain subventions would be loss-making. The reality is we as a country have to subvent certain services to provide them to our people. But we will be anyway, won't we? I mean, uh, given the proximity that Unpost is promising under the criteria that it's laying out, uh, well, then we will have to subsidise some of these post offices, won't we? Provided uh, government step in and realise that they need to introduce a public service obligation, otherwise, as things stand, and the timing of all this is certainly not lost on me and no accident. By the time we return in terms of plenary session to Dáil Éireann in, in September, many of these closures will have already taken place. Mm. Uh, the Postmasters Union uh, argues that point, uh, uh, indeed argues many of uh, the points uh, that you're making uh, and says that you knew that this was uh, the plan and that this shouldn't have come as any surprise to you and that uh, whilst you're supporting uh, and giving great voice to your support for post offices, uh, they want to know when you last used your post office. Well, I last used it on, on, on Friday. Uh, on a personal level, but there is an issue nationally to ensure uh, that we have an increased service offering. As I said earlier, we have a lot of talk about it, but we haven't had the introduction of uh, availability of car taxation and other services that the government have talked about, and we need to do that so that people will use it. And of course, it is important that people use it. But look, I don't want any beef with the Irish Postmasters Union. They did a good job for their members. I have to do a job uh, for, for, for communities in my area and governments have to do it on a national basis. So the IPU can sit back mm. knowing they did a good job in terms of securing a retirement package but they don't have a mandate or authority to negotiate for communities who want service. That's uh, our job. They're, t- they're, they're taking issue as well with how you released uh, the list of postmasters that had uh, applied for voluntary redundancy. Uh, you say it's because you're highlighting how the communities will lose their post offices and they're saying that the postmasters should have had the right to uh, apply for a redundancy scheme in privacy. I have no difficulty with any of that. I mean, uh, uh, there was a, a list put in circulation last week, not by me, but uh, certainly I, I, I availed of it when it was. Uh, but in any event, uh, I mean, uh, what's their problem with that? I mean, most of the people that have retired, who are opting mm. to retire, are the ones leading the charge to want it replaced in their, uh, when they retire themselves. Yeah, but the uh, same and, postmasters and were are, getting calls from people saying, what are you doing here? Why are you abandoning us? No, I mean, uh, I certainly wouldn't support that. People are entitled to retire. So I'd, I certainly wasn't doing that, and I don't know that any of my colleagues were. But uh, the point is, uh, certainly uh, these people are entitled to their remuneration in retirement having served so long. It, their replacement is nothing to do with them, quite frankly. It's a matter for government uh, and on post, and on post need financial support through a public service obligation, which I said, eight million, relatively modest when you consider abandoned vanity projects of Leo Radcliffe, like the Strategic Communications Unit, not least also the very costly pursuit of a seat on the UN Security Council. But when it comes to real issues for real communities on the ground, there's no money available. I was listening to your show earlier. Uh, where another gentleman about a prefab was making the point, when money is needed to suit a minister, it can be found. But when it comes to the people, it seems to be always wanting. Okay, we'll leave it on that note. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Fianna Fáil TD for Sligo Leitrim, Mark McSharry. 
Time now, as is usual around this time, on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with uh, those investigations. Garda Noel Lochran of Hydrohada Station joins us for the report uh, this week and we begin with a road traffic collision in Kilcurry. Yes, uh, Garda at Dundalk Station are seeking witnesses to a road traffic collision in the early hours of this morning. Uh, it happened at around 12.30 this morning at Ballaregan in Kilcurry outside Dundalk. A car collided with another car and left the scene without stopping. Uh, two people were brought to hospital with injuries as a result. We believe the offending car may have headed in the direction of O'Hagan's pub after the collision. Um, then at around 3.30 this morning an Audi A4 car was discovered on fire in the White Mills Road area of Fahart. Anyone who may have witnessed either of these incidents during the night or saw any suspicious activity in the Fahard area is asked to contact Dundalk Garda Station on 042 933 OK, we've uh, a couple of burglaries to report on uh, this week, uh, as usual, I suppose. Uh, the first of them is on a business in Navan. Yes, Navan Gardaí are looking for information following a break into a business premises in the town over the weekend. At around 2am on Saturday morning last August 4th, uh, the Pizza Soprano in the Beachmount Home Park in Navan was broken into. Two men were seen pulling the shutter from the door and smashing glass to gain entry to the shop. Uh, cash register was also stolen during this incident. Uh, again, anyone who was in the vicinity of Beachmount on Saturday morning last uh, is asked to contact Navan Station on 046 9021445. OK, to Dundalk uh, next. Uh, an assault uh, to report on a, a pretty serious uh, assault at that, it would seem. Yes, uh, Dundalk already are seeking witnesses uh, to a serious assault in the town on Sunday last, August 5th. It happened on Nicholas Street South at around 7pm on Sunday evening. Two men received hospital treatment following this assault uh, in which it is believed that a blade was used during the incident. Uh, again, this happened uh, in the evening time on Sunday and anyone who may have been in the Nicholas Street, York Street or St Mary's Road area of the town at around 7pm and may be in, in a position to identify the culprit or culprits in this instance is asked again to contact Dundalk Station on 042 All right, and uh, probably worth mentioning uh, the confidential line as well. Uh, this is a, a telephone number people can ring if uh, they wish to give information to the Gardaí on a confidential basis. It's 1-800-666-311. That's 1-800-666-311. As I mentioned a few moments ago, there's a, a couple of burglaries uh, to report on uh, this week. Uh, the next one is a house burglary in Trim. Yes, uh, Trim Gardaí are investigating a burglary at a house in the Bechtev area, which occurred on Friday last August 3rd. Uh, sometime after half seven on Friday evening, a house in Gillistown in Bechtev was broken into uh, while the occupants were away. Uh, there was an amount of jewellery stolen from the house, and anyone who may have been offered jewellery for sale in the area or uh, may be able to assist this investigation in any way is asked to contact Trim Station on 046 948 one five four seven.
Okay, and uh, an appeal uh, for information to conclude with uh, about counterfeit notes. Uh, it's uh, some time, I, I think, uh, since we've had a report of counterfeit notes, uh, but uh, I suppose uh, they come around every now and then. Yes, mm. the Gardaí are looking to identify two men involved in trying to pass counterfeit notes in the town on Saturday last, August 4th. Uh, these two men tried to pass counterfeit £20 sterling notes uh, in two separate shops and stores in the town on Wednesday evening last. A blue English register Vauxhall insignia was being driven by these men. Um, shop owners and business owners in the northeast are asked to be vigilant and aware that this type of fraud is occurring. And just to reiterate that uh, mm. for this or any other crime mentioned today, uh, Gardy, we can also be contacted on our confidential phone line, which is 1800 treble six treble one. And uh, I, I gather as well uh, that uh, to be all the more vigilant uh, about sterling if uh, you're in business, uh, if uh, the counterfeit Absolutely. notes that were going around were sterling. All right, thank you indeed. Garda Noel Lochran of Drogheda Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, before we leave you today, in the little time that we have left, let's go to some of the many comments uh, that we haven't managed to, to bring to you on the programme this morning. Maggie is back with me. Hi, how you doing? Um, we had a lot of reaction to your piece with Anne Dempsey following oh. on um, the Granny Grant issue. It was um, a big bugbear for a lot of listeners to the programme. Um, Ronnie from Navin heard the interview with Anne and he said he's not a supporter of the grant at all, that um, he feels it could easily be applied to put pensioners over the limit for receiving medical card or any other benefits mm. that they get and that would be a concern that he'd have about it. Yeah, I don't know. I never thought it was a realistic proposal anyway, but uh, that's uh, what governments and ministers do is they fly kites and see what kind of reaction you get. Well, um, Paddy from Cows agrees with you actually. Okay, he says yeah, that no. the proposed grant is daft mm. and a blatant attempt by Minister Ross to get the grey vote. Um, he hopes that Irish people are too smart uh, to be swayed by such a desperate bid for votes and they won't fall for this, we'll yeah. basically when going to the polls. Mm-hmm. No, it makes no sense at all. Anyway, no, really. that's true, that's mm-hmm. true. Um, Anna was on as well in relation to the grant and she's saying it's not a runner in her opinion mm. at all and she feels it's actually very unfair on parents who don't have family living nearby mm. to help out looking after the children. She's saying it's unfair that they should have to bear the brunt of childcare without help while those who are lucky enough and fortunate enough to have their mum or dads or brothers or sisters living by can you know can get this kind of assistance and yeah. it's not fair is what she's mm. saying. She kind of feels it's uneven really to be yeah, honest with For you. a half day, for a full week, for a couple of days in August mm. uh, for all four grandparents. I mean it makes no sense at all. It really is back at the envelope stuff. Well, actually, Sean from Dunabate mm. is fully in favour of it. Oh, OK. Um, yeah, 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 he yeah, says yeah. it should be rolled out across the board. Mm. Um, the more time the children spend with their grandparents, the more they learn about respect, the olden times, baking and gardening, which can only be a good thing. And he says the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. <laughs> OK, well, there may be truth in uh, the last bit of what he said there. But uh, I don't know if uh, there is value in it. Uh, does it need to, to be compensated? And uh, if it is to be compensated, uh, should it not just be done across the board? Well, that's the mm-hmm. point, you see. Mm-hmm. Like, that's exactly what Anne was yeah. saying in, in the comment to me. Like She went into a bit more detail than what I said in, in the comment, because obviously times against the sea and upsize these things but she mm. was just making that point you know that why should one group of parents be favoured I suppose for want of a better way of putting it over others like you know she said childcare costs are astronomical her kids are crippled with them is what she said to me so she feels if one set of parents should get it 
all parents should get them really mm-hmm. okay all right what else have people been saying um, well we had uh, Brendan Moore in contact with us in relation to the upcoming FLA as you know it's FLA, oh, yeah. FLA mania has set in really well and truly we have a week to go so um, he as you know was a, a community activist with regards to disabilities yeah. and he was saying that he said the FLA is coming to Drogheda but he feels that preparations for people with disabilities who may be attending the events are not yet adequate in his opinion um, he says facilities are being provided for persons who hold uh, disability passes with West Street being closed off to traffic along with the other streets. A special flat pass is needed to park on Dominic Street and King Street King Street and um, you, can, you must pre-book for the parking but he says that a parking amendment in place since 20, um, or 2011 states that a person with a valid pass can park in a wheelchair bay for no longer than two hours so he's asking the question like what's stopping people from parking there from longer than that who's going to be looking after that and monitoring that people are only there for whatever set, mm. set amount of time he feels that the organisers should check into this um, because if an amended if an amendment is needed for that two-hour window, then the change would have to be made by the Minister for Transport. And he says the flash should be accessible for everybody, including people with disabilities. And if adequate parking facilities aren't there, well, then it's not. OK, well, it's a, an interesting point. Uh, we'll pass it on uh, to uh, the organising committee and uh, ask for a response to it. Thanks, Brendan, for that. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch. Uh, thanks, Maggie, for that matter. That's where our time has run out, though. Remember, there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website, LMFM. Uh, this afternoon if you would like to listen back. Thanks to Maggie McGuire for researching and Ross Leahy in the control term. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie 